and this is Quintus Curtius here, and welcome back to Fortress of the Mind for a weekend edition of the podcast. And I'll be dealing with uh, another email, very good question here, and it's always a great feeling when you get a question that you really know the answer to, and you can just blast it out of the park. And that happened a couple days ago when I received this message, from uh, this email from a reader, which is a good one, very good question, and gives me a chance to point out some things that I've thought about uh, for a long time. And uh, here, let's let's read his email, and then just we'll go into the, the details of the answer. But he says, uh, hey, Quintus, hope you're doing well. I've been studying on duties and had a couple of questions I was hoping you could answer. One, Cicero says that tyranny is ultimately self-defeating and that a ruler should look towards the life, towards the love of, his, of its citizens in opposition to guys like Machiavelli and Robert Greene. But what about places in the Middle East where love and democracy just doesn't hold and tyranny seems to be the only force holding the region together? And then the second question, he says, he says, uh, not quite related to duties, to on duties, but on the nature of stoicism, does it lead to cutting off of one's emotions and living a life of apathy? Did the Stoics preach a philosophy of passivity, of merely accepting what is, or do we just project that onto them? As always, I appreciate your insights. All right. I'm going to answer these questions because they're good ones. But it's important to point out that the answers of both the answers to both of these question questions highlight, I think, what we often see with, with studies of the great uh, philosophers or great works of literature of the past. And what happens is people have an imperfect knowledge of something. And when we have an imperfect knowledge, when, when, we, when, when we are not fully acquainted with the depth and richness of, of, a, of someone's thought, it can make us uh, conclude things that are imperfect. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all have to start somewhere. But I think these questions highlight the danger of not only projecting our own thoughts or our own conclusions onto these guys, but also on the dangers of not fully understanding exactly what a writer is saying. And let me explain what I mean by that. We'll start with the first question here, the first question. the, the Basically, what it comes down to, the, the difference, what is the difference of opinion between Cicero and Machiavelli regarding the question of whether it, whether is it whether it's better to be loved or feared? This is a, a very common question, and it's it's been around in popular culture for a long time. We see it in movies, we see it uh, in TV shows. You know, the old debate: is it better to be loved or to be feared? Well, the first step, the first thing we have to do is actually go and see what these guys said about that issue. Forget what we think they said. We have to actually look at the text. We have to read the text, and we have to examine what they said about it. All right, so let's do that. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to first uh, look at what Cicero says and then see what Machiavelli says. And then you can decide if they are, if the opinions of these two men complement each other or if they are in opposition to each other. I think you'll see when we get through this that they really are not in conflict with each other at all. There is no conflict. In many ways, they are saying the same thing but in different ways. Although I think it is true that Machiavelli was was really gearing his was gearing his um, his counsel for rulers and kings 
rather than Cicero, who is gearing his counsel towards individuals in their own private lives. But let's actually look at what they say. All right, what I'm doing now is I have in my hand the the paperback version of my translation of On Duties. And if you do have that, you're going to want to turn to page 119. Page 119, and uh, if you have the if you have the Kindle version, you should um, realize that we're at book book two, chapter seven. So it's it's either page 119, 119, or uh, if if we look at the actual textual reference, it's it's book two, chapter seven. And in this section, Cicero talks about the question of being loved or being feared. Again, we have to remind ourselves, this council is not really directed towards princes or kings, rulers. It's meant to be a guide for an individual. It's, it's actually written for Cicero's son. So it's meant to be a personal guide. But he says, and I'm reading from my translation, he says, Of all possible things, nothing is more felicitous in gaining and safeguarding the hopes of men than to be held in high esteem, and nothing is more alienating to those hopes than to be feared. Aeneas said it well with these lines, What they fear they hate. A man hates another and wishes him to perish. No amount of resources can withstand the hatred of the majority. If this was not previously known, it certainly has been learned recently. The career of this tyrant, which the state tolerated and obeyed under the weight of arms, even though his death occurred, shows us the extent to which popular hatred can act as a curse. Similar conclusions can be drawn from the fates of other such tyrants, hardly any of which have escaped such a fate. Fear is a poor sentry of long reliability, but devoted goodwill, on the other hand, can guard, can stand guard in perpetuity. And in the following sections, if we drop down to you know, sections 24, 25, and 26, Cicero gives some specific examples of people who promoted an atmosphere of fear. And that atmosphere of fear created hatred, and they themselves were made victims by people that they enslaved with fear. And what I like is in, in um, I'm, again, I'm on page 120 now, page 120, Cicero says, But for those rulers who command their populations with an iron fist, cruelty must certainly be used, just as one might do against a domestic servant if no other means is available. Yet nothing is more insane than the actions of those who, in a free society, create conditions such that they must be feared. Whenever the laws have been submerged under the force of some unjust chicanery, and whenever liberty hides her face in fear, inevitably at some point silent courts emerge or secret voting on some public office takes place. Restored liberty bites more fiercely than liberty continuously retained. We must therefore adopt that most widely appreciated policy, not only for safety's sake, but also for the value it brings to the wealth and opportunities of the many, that we banish fear and hold tightly to mutual affection. Thus many, thus may those things we want in both public and private life be more easily pursued. As a matter of fact, those rulers who wish to be feared must necessarily fear those same people who they seek to rule.
All right. So what is he saying? And, and you know, this is very, very wise counsel. Very, very wise counsel. What, what Cicero essentially is saying there is that if you go down the path of tyranny, if you go down the path of trying to rule over people through fear, if you try to regulate your relations with others based on fear and intimidation, that's going to come back to bite you in the ass. That's, kind of, that's going to come back to get you. You can't live life projecting fear and hatred onto other people because what will happen is that will come back to get you. And Cicero talks in following sections about specific historical figures that happened to. In his day, it was men like Dionysius or it was the one of the dictators of the uh, Sicilian cities, I think uh, Phalaris, Phalaris of Syracuse. He gives examples of, of men who tried to rule over others through fear and what they what that did was they simply engendered a lot of hatred now cicero is also practical again remember cicero was not one of these uh goody two shoes uh pie in the sky type of guy this was a practical man of politics this was a man who had been consul who had achieved the highest political offices in the land in his time this was not some uh uh, wide-eyed idealist. He had no illusions about human nature. He specifically says in that section that I just read that sometimes cruelty is necessary if you're ruling over a, a population. Sometimes it is necessary. And he uses the example of a domestic servant. In Cicero's day, we should note, uh, slavery was a, a feature of, of human life. And a master had, had uh, power to to administer beatings sometimes uh, to domestic servants. I think I think it was rare, uh, but uh, it certainly did happen on occasion. And uh, then, as now, domestic violence uh, could happen. Now, that, that may be an unfortunate example for him to use. It's not the most politically correct example, I think. But if we take it for what, it's, for what he's saying, the point is well made. Sometimes when we're the leader, sometimes when we're the ruler, we have to resort to force. Sometimes the sword has to come out. Sometimes force is necessary. Sometimes fear is necessary. That's what Cicero is saying. But what he's not saying is that you should make this a permanent feature of your leadership life. It should not be a permanent way to command respect. Because if you live by fear, if you live by hate, guess what? You're going to die by the same thing. It's going to come back to bite you in the ass. So really, if we really look at the whole picture of what Cicero is saying, we actually see that it's very, very wise counsel. It's very wise counsel. It's very practical. And it is perfectly in keeping with the reality of both leaders on the national stage and individuals on the private stage. Who can forget the examples of the 20th century dictators, and there have been so many of them. These were men who ruled over their populations with an iron fist. But what happens when you do that? You're riding a tiger. That may work in the short term, but you're going to make enemies. You're going to never enjoy a moment's rest. You will never be able to sleep soundly. You will always be looking over your shoulder. You're going to live a life of paranoia and isolation. And what life is that? What life is that? What, what, what good can come of that? And that's really the tragedy of the dictator mentality 
of the dictator playbook is that you can never really have a moment of rest. You're always on guard. You are, in essence, riding a tiger that you can never get off of. Because the minute you get off that tiger, he will eat you. He will eat you. All right, now let's turn to Machiavelli and let's actually see what Machiavelli says. And again, the previous example when I was talking about Cicero, uh, it was critically important for us to actually refer to the text, to go back and to read exactly what he was saying, not to just extrapolate what we think he's saying, but to actually read what the author is saying. The same thing with, with Machiavelli. You know, Machiavelli is, is probably one of the most misunderstood and most uh, probably butchered uh, political thinker out there or thinker of, of, of any stripe out there. He's actually kind of a, an interesting guy, a, a very uh, hard to categorize type of individual. Uh, Machiavelli essentially was a, uh, a failure at almost everything he, he did. Uh, he did not have a successful career as a diplomat. He was idle for a good, a good part of his life. He dabbled in a number of different things. But he was very, very perceptive. Very, very perceptive. And he was, we have to give him credit, uh, he was a revolutionary political thinker. If only for the reason that he maybe disclosed the secrets of the ruler's guild, if we can use it that way. He basically was the one who uh, put it all out there in writing. Uh, yeah. realistically, he wasn't telling rulers anything they didn't already know. But what he was doing was he was trying to get uh, get back in power. And in many ways, he was trying to show these rulers how much he knew. And it turned out to be very influential. He turned out to be very, very influential because uh, it was the type of thing that everybody maybe wanted to see in print, but no one really was willing to risk his reputation to put into print. But even even there, you know, uh, this was a guy who did have a sense of, uh, of responsibility, of, of obligation, uh, of public morality in, in some ways. Uh, he was very much a patriot, very much a nationalist. And let's see what he really did say, because he is not, in many ways, the amoral... Uh, psychopath, I think, that people make him out to be. He actually had a very measured view of things. And let's actually look and see what he says. Again, the question here is whether is it whether, whether it's better to be loved or feared. And essentially, on this question, we have to re- remember that, that, that uh, Machiavelli posed his question in the form of a choice. Basically, if you, if you look at the prince, he says, if a ruler must choose between being feared without love or being loved without fear, he must sacrifice the love. In other words, if we have to choose between being loved, uh, I'm sorry, if you have to choose between being feared without love or being loved without fear, you should make the choice where you are, uh, you are feared without love. Okay, but implicit in the way he poses the question is it, it, it should be a last resort. If possible, you should try to gain the goodwill of others. But if you have to choose, then obviously you have to make the default uh, choice. And for those who are interested, that, that, um, that famous question about being loved or feared, that's in uh, section 17 of The Prince. 
section 17 or chapter 17 of the Prince. You can find that question there. Now, however, even though that's what Machiavelli says in the Prince, people, what they commonly do is they just stop there. They say, okay, well, that's what Machiavelli thought. He said, okay, it's better to be, it's better to be feared than loved. And then they extrapolate from that. And what they do is they take it too far. They take that ethic too far. They interpret that somehow as being permission or somehow as being a license to be a lunatic about being an amoral bastard. And you can do whatever you want. You can screw over anybody you want. And there's no consequences. And see, this is what I object to is because people take things too far. They take one statement and they simplistically extrapolate that to draw a whole a whole series of conclusions that Machiavelli himself never believed in. And let me show you what I mean by that. Okay, because Machiavelli qualified himself in other writings. On the other hand, if we look at the... Isn't this the thing? No one ever reads Machiavelli's Discourses on Livy. He wrote another, besides The Prince, which is his most famous work. He wrote, he wrote many works, actually, but he wrote another, um, another work, which was basically commentaries on the Roman historian Livy. Uh, Titus Livius, and in Italian, I, I believe it's called the Discorsi, Discourses on Livy. You can find it. No one, very few people have read it. But if you really are an enthusiast of Machiavelli's thought, you owe it to yourself to read the Discourses because it's a, um, uh, a it adds a real depth and richness to Machiavelli's thought. In the Discourses, and I'm quoting here. Machiavelli says, A multitude is more easily governed by humanity and gentleness than by haughtiness and cruelty. Okay, I'll repeat that. A multitude is more easily governed by humanity and gentleness than by haughtiness and cruelty. And that is in, uh, let me find the quote here, that's in the Discourses, Book 3, Section 19. Book 3, Section 19. It's funny, no one ever quotes that. You know, everyone always talks about, oh, it's better to be feared than loved, but no one ever mentions that quote. I'm going to continue. He's, uh, uh, Machiavelli says, Titus, Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antoninus, and Marcus Aurelius did not require the Praetorian Guard nor the legions to defend them because they were protected by their own good conduct, the goodwill of the people, and the love of the Senate. And that is... Uh, Discourses, Book 1, Chapter 10. Book 1, Chapter 10. So we could say that those two quotes from the Discourses completely contradict what we just read in The Prince. But not really. Not really. I don't use the word contradict. I prefer to say that they complement what Machiavelli said in The the Prince, uh, which is that we should always strive to be held in high esteem by our fellows through our greatness of spirit, our goodness of soul, our good conduct, our expansiveness as human beings. But when you have to, the fangs have to come out. When you are faced with your back against the wall, when you really have to pull the sword out, you should do it then. So in many ways, it's just the opposite of what people think, Machiavelli said. Some people think that he was making the the your default setting should always be a vicious prick you should always be an unscrupulous amoral bastard okay but really what machiavelli was saying was just the opposite 
That's what I would argue. And I think we can draw that conclusion from looking at the completeness of Machiavelli's thought. If we, have, if we read the discourses, if we read the prints, if we take these things as a whole, rather than just cherry-picking quotes out of context, which is what everyone does. And this is the difference, people, between someone who has a nuanced, uh, uh, deep understanding of the text and someone who has only a superficial knowledge of the text. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And in, and in that sense, I think we can say that Machiavelli and Cicero agree with each other completely. If Machiavelli had met Cicero on the forum, the two of them would have found themselves to be almost in perfect agreement, at least on this issue. So I think that's something that's very important to keep in mind. Read the texts. Think about them. They don't often say what you think they say. They say what they say, not what you think they say. Let's now move on to the second question. And this is the question of the nature of Stoicism. Does it lead to cutting off one's emotions and living a life of apathy? Did the Stoics preach a philosophy of passivity, of merely accepting what is? Again, that question shows that I think we're asking, uh, uh, we're, we're drawing conclusions from inadequate premises. Uh, a superficial understanding of Stoicism might lead someone to think that way. But if we really understand the thought, if we really immerse ourselves in the Stoic writings, we will see that that is a gross oversimplification. Yes, some Stoic doctrines can, uh, if taken too far, lead to resignation, apathy, and passivity. But you know, you could say that about anything. You could say that about almost anything. If we actually look, uh, again, the, the philosophy of Stoicism was started by Zeno. Zeno, uh, and again, uh, a very good summary of Stoic thought is found in my book, Stoic Paradoxes. I have a introduction there where we go through the basics of Stoic thought, and then we look at sort of the seven pillars the seven fundamentals of Stoic thought, and, and, and discuss those. But essentially, you have to understand the, 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 the origin and development of the doctrine. Zeno uh, started, uh, or was the, the, the original Stoic thinker, and he was followed his, by his successors, um, uh, as I talk about in the book, um, you know he had he he, uh, he had successors who bas basically built on um, you know on, on on what he did uh, Chrysippus and uh, Cleanthes they were two uh, followers of the of uh, of the Stoic school and then the, after them there were many other Stoic writers only a few of which have survived uh, today but the bottom line is you know. Stoicism was a noble philosophy, and it it, it proved very practical, practicable uh, than people might might think. It, it it brought together elements of Greek thought uh, in a final effort of the the classical mind to um, to create a system of ethics and morals that proved to be very resilient and very uh, of enduring value. And it it basically held together the best the best minds of the ancient world until. A new system of thought came on, came along, which was Christianity. Uh, so, it, the key thing that we have to remember about Stoicism is that it saw man as a part of nature, 
and that ethical problems could be easily resolved by cooperating with, with nature or God. Uh, the, the law of the world is what they would call it. Um, their idea was that it's not the pursuit of enjoyment or the pursuit of pleasure that was important, but what was important was subordinating your reason and your passion to the dictates of the natural world. Happiness can be found only through a rational adjustment of our aims and goals with those that nature provides for us. Uh, that, that, that's really the, the essence of it. We have to, in many ways it was a, and I've often argued this, that it, it shared a lot of similarities to Buddhism in, this, in that sense, that we need to subordinate our reason and our passions to the dictates of nature. You know, if evil comes to a man, if, if, if we are visited by evil, it's, it's only going to be temporary. And it's not really an evil because it's all part of nature's grand design. So in that sense, yes, it's accepting the way things are. And I think even Zeno made an example when um, uh, I think, it's, I think this, this uh, story is found in the uh, Diogenes Laertius' Lives of the Philosophers. He talks about um, Zeno was talking to one of his servants and the, stir- the servant stole something. Zeno beat him and the servant said, well, it was, I was fated to, to steal that from you. And, and Zeno replied, well, I was also fated to beat you up for it. So, so you know, the, the, the point is well taken. The point is well taken. And there are some things in Stoicism that we could see might lend itself to sort of a resignation. I think they accepted the fact that when a person is tired of life, they are permitted to leave it without injuring others. So there really was not a lot of scruples against suicide. Uh, I think even uh, Cleanthes, uh, allegedly, when he was in his 70s, I think he just basically just uh, uh, decided to check out, I think, just by by just refusing to take food or drink. So on its surface, Stoicism was a hard teacher. It, It was a stern administrator. And on its surface, it sounds like a very joyless and austere uh, type of doctrine. But in practice, again, we have to remember that there's a difference between theory and practice. In in reality, Stoicism produced some of the greatest minds and the best leaders of antiquity. Uh, it, it created men of, 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 of great moral courage, saintliness, and goodwill. You know, people like uh, uh, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, Cato the Younger, uh, Seneca, Cicero, some some of the very, very best men. It, it may not have attracted, and I've said this before, it may not have attracted the most men, but it certainly attracted some of the best ones. And I think that's what we need to keep in mind. So no, I, I don't believe that Stoicism automatically meant that we embrace uh, passivity and fatalism. You know, like anything, you can take it too far. So th- this podcast, if, if it does nothing else, I want to, to caution uh, people, uh, caution you and everyone um, against the two evils of, of learning. One is superficial understanding of a text. And the second evil is making gross oversimplifications or taking uh, things too far, taking one, one idea and then just taking it too far. We have to suspend judgment on some of these texts until we've really done our homework and until we've really read and we've really understood them in a profound 
and nuanced way. So I hope that helps everyone understand a little bit more about the differences between, or the similarities between, Cicero and Machiavelli on the question of whether it is to be loved or feared, and on the Stoics, the question of whether Stoicism promotes passivity and inertia. That will conclude our podcast here at Fortress of the Mind. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.